I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow The Global Story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. You know you've got a comeback in you. When you take the next step, you're going to make it count. For your career, for your family, for your life. You can earn a degree you're proud of with Purdue Global. Purdue Global is backed by Purdue University, one of the nation's most respected and innovative public universities. This is your chance. This is your opportunity. This is your comeback. Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. When you buy Kroger brand products, you feel like you're winning. That's because they offer proven quality at lower than low prices. In fact, we guarantee that you and your family will love how Kroger brand products taste. Or you get your money back. So next time you're shopping for the family, look for delicious Kroger brand products. Because they'll make you all feel like you're winning. Shop now, in-store, or online. Kroger. Fresh for everyone. The 2024 presidential campaign features two candidates who are very well-known to Americans. And yet, there's complexity at every turn. Criminal trials for one of those candidates. Young voters who are angry. The Campaign Moment podcast from The Washington Post gives you what matters. I'm Aaron Blake, and I'm covering my 10th election cycle. My colleagues and I have insights that you won't find anywhere else. So follow the Campaign Moment right now, wherever you're listening. Hey, fam, I'm Jada Pinkett Smith, and this is the Red Table Talk podcast. All your favorite episodes from the Facebook Watch Show in audio. Produced by Westbrook Audio and iHeartRadio. Please don't forget to rate and review on Apple Podcasts. Crazy Rich Asians was huge. Fresh Off the Boat was historic. The star Constance Wu was on top of the world. Then with one tweet, it all came crashing down. People were canceling me for being ungrateful and ungraceful. I read these DMs from an Asian actress. She called you a blight on the Asian community. The world was saying, you will never suffer as much as you deserve to suffer. I was unsafe at that point. The backlash drove her to attempt suicide. I was feeling like I didn't deserve to live, feeling like I'd ruined everything for everyone. And maybe I did for some people, but people make mistakes, right? For the first time in years, Constance Wu was speaking out. I had swallowed the abuse for so long. It was him rubbing my leg and being like, your skin is so smooth, and then going further. You talk about having been raped. Her response to those who turned against her. Do you feel the need to apologize anymore? Rude, nasty, mean-spirited, arrogant, spoiled brat, ungrateful little bitch. I hope you get fired and contract a terrible disease. Wow. These are just a few of the harsh comments posted about our special guest today. In 2019, Constance Wu was a Hollywood darling. Her stellar performance in the smash hit Crazy Rich Asians earned her a Golden Globe nomination, the first for an Asian woman in 56 years. She played a hilariously strict mom in the popular sitcom Fresh Off the Boat and a stripper alongside J-Lo in Hustlers. 
Then after news broke that her sitcom had been renewed, Constance sent a tweet that ignited a viral firestorm. So upset right now that I'm literally crying. Ugh. When a fan tweeted congrats on your renewal, great news, Constance replied with, no, it's not. The backlash was swift and unrelenting. Many of Constance's millions of fans turned against her. Then a matter of days, Constance, who was once celebrated and adored, was attacked, vilified, and ostracized. For three years, she disappeared from social media and pulled back from public life. At her lowest point, Constance attempted suicide. Constance Wu is here for her first in-depth interview since the release of her highly anticipated memoir, Making a Scene. Hi. Welcome. Thank you for having of me. Of course. Thank you. Hello. Hi, nice to see you. Nice to meet you. Have a seat. We know very well here at this table <gasps> what it is like to get hit with backlash. Yes. Right. So, yeah, yes. we understand. Let's start with what you've called careless tweets and just set the scene for us. It's actually hard for me to talk about without getting emotional, but, you know, it's... It's funny because people were basically canceling me for being ungrateful and ungraceful. And they were saying, you know, I didn't think about the other people's jobs on the show mm -hmm. and um, how selfish that was and how I was like behaving like a diva. And what people didn't realize is that during my first couple of years on Fresh Off the Boat, I was um, sexually harassed and I was intimidated and I was threatened all the time. Right. This producer, he is an Asian American. And the thing that was most painful was he was so derogatory and harassing towards me. But because this show was sort of a beacon of representation for Asian Americans mm. and I sort of became a symbol of representation. Yeah. I didn't want to sully the one show yeah. with sexual harassment claims against the one Asian American man yeah. who was doing all this better work yeah. for the community. Mm -hmm. So I think that's sort of what happened when I, you know, tweeted that stuff. It seemed out of character. Right. If you don't know me and don't know all the pain and abuse I had to swallow for years. And the reason I'm crying now is because you sort of, have to be honest yeah. about it as it happens so it doesn't come out yeah. later the way it does. You mentioned sexual harassment. Yeah. Was that happening on set? It happened on set. Things like... Verbal? What yeah, was like, going show on? Yeah, like, show me this friend. I want to see if I her or not. Like, that kind of thing. Constance writes about her experience with the Asian-American producer who was her boss. He told me the way he preferred my hair. Guys like long hair. Told me I looked better in short skirts and should wear them more often. Well, you still can, he'd say with a smirk. He kept tabs on all areas of my life. She says he would send her messages after hours. Sometimes he texted me late at night, requesting selfies. It made me feel uncomfortable, and I didn't want to. So I made excuses like, gah, sorry, I hate selfies. They make me feel so narcissistic. He thought that was stupid. It's not a big deal, he told me later. Lots of actresses send me selfies. Yeah, <laughs> wow. I also felt guilty because I felt like I was playing into it because at that time, this is my first ever big TV show. Yeah. I got to pretend I'm part of the boys club. Yeah. I got to pretend I'm cool with this talk. I'm like, and, and I would just say, oh my God, you're such a dick. Like, yeah. get over yourself. 
But the actual touching of me, it only happened once. And it was, quote unquote, not that bad, bad compared yeah. to uh, other stories I've heard. But the point is, it shouldn't have happened at all. Yeah. yeah. He was basically pressuring me to go to a basketball game I really didn't want to go to. I finally relented. And then him telling me to dress cute. And then it was him rubbing my leg and being like, your skin is so smooth. And me being like, stop, mm -hmm. don't do that. And then him going further and putting his hand over my crotch, you know, oh. and try to like graze yeah. and like turn me on or something. And then me being like, dude, no. stop. Yeah. That's not cool, which pissed him off. And then he ignored me for five minutes. And I mean, it was over jeans. Yeah. So yeah. it's like, but, but still, still, that's not. Still, yeah, yeah, you don't do that. That's besides yeah, you the don't point. Do that. If somebody that's touches your boob over a sweater, they're still trying touching, to touch your boob. Yeah, exactly. it doesn't. It doesn't even matter. I spoke up to a couple of people who I thought were kind of like friends and allies, and they were like, "Oh, I'm sorry." Nobody encouraged me to go to HR though, because they didn't want the show to be canceled. Right. And then several years later, somebody encouraged me to report it to HR, but I was like, "Nobody's going to believe me. Right. I don't have evidence." But I regret that. And she was mm -hmm. right, I should have reported it to HR because that's their job. Doesn't even mean any action's gonna happen, but it means that there's a record of this happening and that is helpful for future people. Yes. And the thing that was really interesting was to black and white women, he displayed the utmost respect and deference. Mm. And I've since heard accounts from other Asian actresses who have been like, oh yeah, me too. This mm -hmm. happened to me with this guy too. It is an interesting phenomenon that makes you feel quite alone because if I were to talk about this, like if you were my colleague on set, it would be baffling to you because right. he would have treated you with yeah. different yeah. respect. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. To see your abuser being buddy-buddy with everybody, it feels like a betrayal. Absolutely. I understand that one. So was this part of the reason why you made that tweet then? It was a perfect storm of many things. First of all, I had swallowed the abuse for so long that producer and I didn't talk for like the remaining three, four years of the show. So yeah. I thought it was a chapter behind me. Got I it. never have to bring it up. I never have to sully the reputation of this show that's a beacon for Asian American yeah. representation. And I really wanted a clean slate that didn't hold so many memories of intimidation and fear. Yeah. And also we were told the show likely wouldn't be remute the last episode of the prior season had been written as a series finale. My movie, Crazy Rich Asians, opened right before they decided to renew Fresh Off the Boat. Okay. So it was sort of a bad look to cancel the one Asian American sitcom when Crazy, Crazy Rich, Rich Asians was... brought up this renewed conversation. And so I think the news just caught me by surprise and I had to drop out of the projects I was looking forward to, the clean slate I was looking forward to. Mm -hmm. Your expectations were dashed. I actually felt lied to, but the thing is, I. Sh I shouldn't have done it on Twitter. Right. And the yes. people right, who are right, reading right. don't know you. All they know is, oh my goodness, she's, she's saying she doesn't she's want complaining. complaining. And you were just, Crazy Rich Asians was huge. And we have this show that represents and our community. And she thinks she's a big movie star exactly. now. Exactly. With the information yeah. people had, the public had, of yeah. course it looked like yeah, that. Absolutely. So I don't fault people for thinking that. But Asian Americans were the one who kind of piled on. 
I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow The Global Story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. Whether you're a savvy spender maximizing your savings with cashback rewards, a thrifty rate watcher seeking the lowest interest, or a travel enthusiast looking for extraordinary perks, Kemba Financial Credit Union has a visa to complement your lifestyle and unique needs. Apply today at Kemba.org to unlock a limited time 2% cash back on purchases and pay 0% interest on balance transfers for an entire year with a new visa from Kemba. You deserve a card that works for you. Restrictions apply. Offer ends June 30th, 2024. L-A-S-I-K, LASIK.com. Have you been thinking about LASIK but not sure if you're a candidate? Just go to LASIK.com slash quiz and take our free candidacy quiz. In just a few minutes, you'll know if LASIK is likely right for you. And if it is, we'll connect you with experienced LASIK doctors in your area. Start your journey towards 2020 vision. Take our free candidacy quiz at LASIK.com slash quiz. Yeah, LASIK.com. Easy to remember, so you know where to start. L-A-S-I-K, LASIK.com. The best conversations I have with my colleagues are the ones that happen when no one is looking, when we're not 100% sure yet what to write. Hopefully, having conversations like this can help you figure out your own point of view. That's kind of our job as Washington Post opinions columnists. I'm Charles Lane, Deputy Opinion Editor. And I'm Amanda Ripley, a contributing columnist. We're going to bring you into these conversations on a new podcast called Impromptu. Follow Impromptu now, wherever you listen. On to me. So after your tweets, a former colleague had messaged you saying nothing you could ever do would make up for your atrocious behavior and disgusting ingratitude. You sullied the one shining beacon of hope for Asian Americans. You've become a blight on the Asian community. I read these DMs from an Asian actress, somebody who should have been my ally. And I felt like nothing I could ever do would be enough. I felt like The only thing that would prove to her that I felt as bad as she thought I deserved to feel would would be if I died. I felt like even that might not be enough because I felt like the world was saying, you will never suffer as much as you deserve to suffer. You deserve to pay for this Mm -hmm. and be punished for this. Can you take us through how you ended up on... on the ledge of, of your fifth floor balcony. Yeah. With a blanket. <laughs> it was the weirdest detail in my mind. I think I wanted to like jump with a comfort object as if I was a child. Right. It was so weird. It was after reading these DMs and I just got in this state, like my palms are still itching when I think about it. In her book, Constance reveals what happened after reading those messages. Her DMs made me feel helpless and desperate, my heart full of sharp attacks. Why wouldn't she believe my remorse? That I hurt as badly as she wanted me to. My head spinning, I realized I needed a wound to prove it. To prove that I hurt as bad as everyone said I deserved to hurt. And it couldn't be a little wound. It had to be the biggest wound in the world for it to be enough. 
And that's how I ended up clutching the balcony railing of my fifth floor apartment and staring wildly down at the New York City street below. Wow. A friend who had come to check on me pulled me over from climbing over the ledge and dragged me into the elevator and took me into a cab and took me to a psychiatric emergency room where they checked me in and I slept the night on a cot in the waiting room in a psychiatric ER in New York City under observation. And then there were two counselors the next morning who talked to me. And then I had to be in therapy with a psychiatrist and a psychologist every day for a while. How and was then, that process? You know, it was helpful. I needed it. Mm -hmm. I was unsafe at that point. Yeah. I was in a mental place of just beating myself Apathy. Uh, okay. up and so much shame. Yeah. And feeling like I didn't deserve to live, feeling like the world hated me, feeling like I'd ruined everything for everyone. And maybe I did for some people, but you know, people make mistakes, yeah, right? Yeah, absolutely. And I'm sorry, I hate that I'm crying no, so that's much. That's okay. I can't help it, I'm like. It makes sense. I know growing up in the limelight, we kind of are like, oh, whatever. We kind of try to brush it off. Like, yeah, people say things, people this and that, and we, we try to normalize it, but it's not normal for yeah. millions of people to be hateful towards one yeah. person. And it shocks the nervous system and it shocks the mind and it shocks the heart and it shocks the soul. It's not normal and it hurts. So it was those hurtful DMs and those, on top of, of everything else. Of everything the DMs else. were sort of the, I know, that was the, that was the part that, that broke really the camel's back. Yeah. pushed right. you. Yeah. And that's what got you to that place of possibly harming yourself. And yeah. you're right, it's not normal. I have been punished. Um, right. And mocked and, you know, there was an event uh, several months later, there's this organization called CAPE and they do this gala every year for Asians. And they wanted me to come because they wanted to celebrate the show and the kids on the show. And at that time, there was so much controversy around me that I was like, if I go, people are just gonna wanna talk about the tweets. And like, I love my kids on the show so much. I want this to be a moment for them to Brilliant. celebrate. Yeah. And also I told them, I don't want anybody to make fun of it because I'm still in a very raw place about yeah. it. Like I'm not ready to be mocked for it. They didn't know I had a suicide attempt, but I expressed that like, I can't deal with that. They promised me. They said, no, 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 we love Constance. It'll only be warm energy and positive vibes towards her. So I was like, okay, okay, I'll go. And then they sat me like in the front row and like had all these cameras on me. And within 10 minutes, the host of the show like, mm. made a crack at me. Yeah. And I was sitting there alone trying not to cry in a public setting and the whole audience was like, oh <laughs> They had promised they wouldn't mock me and they did it right off the bat. It almost felt like they were setting me up for right. it. And then it truly felt like a betrayal from the Asian American yeah. community. Yeah. A couple months prior to that, I was in the emergency room. Yeah. And wow. the host of that, yeah. Simu, he did the right thing and he apologized and it was a sincere apology. I just want to say, I feel like the reaction wouldn't have been as visceral if there were more representation beforehand, maybe? 100%. But I think you hit it on the nose. I think it's because... It's because of the lack, lack there of, of representation. That people are like, oh, this is our Don't, one this chance. This is all we have. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> 
So let me explain to you why the Asian American community was so angry about Constance Wu's tweets. Fresh Off the Boat was the first Asian American family sitcom that we had had in 20 years. And it was huge for the community. So when she tweets that she's very unhappy about the fact that the show is being renewed for its final season, people really felt that not only was she being ungrateful or acting like a prima donna, but that it was a betrayal to the Asian American community. Because there are so few Asian American stars, there is incredible pressure put on these actors like Constance Wu to be perfect. When they make a mistake, it seems like a catastrophe because we don't have anything else to fill in the void. And because she was representing Asian Americans, she wasn't allowed to have an emotion in this way. All those people who bullied her said, you know what, you don't deserve to have a big feeling. This is probably going to be a moment of reflection for Asian America about who the real target of our anger is and should be. Doesn't Constance Wu and every person, don't we deserve to quit our jobs when we're being treated poorly? Or just because we don't want to do our jobs anymore? I think too, when it comes from your own community, that's it's hard. even more painful. I don't want to deny the fact that there is a community responsibility, there though, is. because there absolutely is. But you've got to have grace and compassion as well. I think moments like this are an opportunity rather than engaging in judgment, just yeah. to engage in curiosity. Mm -hmm. I wonder what made somebody do something so out of character. Right. And it doesn't mean that you're validating their behavior, because, yeah, I probably shouldn't have tweeted that stuff. Right. What do you feel that your Asian community is feeling about you now? Do you feel like they're still angry with you? I feel like they're avoiding me. Mm. I feel the disapproval, but rather than being blatant, the silence yeah. of how much people reached out to me before. Mm, yeah. Pre-tweet versus post-tweet. Mm -hmm. And y you can tell the silence has an effect. Yep. We need to hold each other accountable, accountable but with support. Yeah. I like not that. Hold, it, hold yeah. each other accountable, but with, with support. support. Yeah. That's awesome. It's sort I of like, like you weren't your best, and I know you can be better, and yeah. I'm here for you yeah. as you get better. Exactly. Yeah, Rather than out. like, ooh, I'm not touching that. Yeah. yeah. Exactly. Which is sort of how I feel these days. Got yeah. it. Do you feel yeah. the need to apologize anymore? I think I'm good with apologies. I think yeah. I'm done with shame. Mm -hmm. I think that I have done more work than most people have done because I've kind of been forced to, you know. More work on yourself, you mean? Yeah. 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 And I think the people who still want me to apologize and to feel remorse are the people like that Asian actress who say that nothing I ever do will be enough. That's actually your exactly. issue. Yeah. It's not about me anymore. Who did you look towards for support or comfort in your circle. Well, I mean, that was also a part of it is I think a lot of my close friends kind of disapproved of it too, wow. which made me feel even more isolated. Yeah. Actually, only like two Asians reach out to me <laughs> to check if I was okay. What about your family? Oh, that's a whole other thing because that was at a time that I wasn't speaking to my mom and I hadn't mm. spoken to my mom in like four or five years. Wow. Complete right. silence, like not even emails. That's something I kept private, that estrangement from her because I was 
embarrassed of it. But at the time of um, those tweets, I was not talking to her. I was still very close to my dad, and she doesn't talk to my father since their divorce. Right. But when that happened, she called my dad and was like, hey, is she okay? Right. Can you check on her? And my dad telling me that kind of broke my heart, but also made me feel loved yeah. in a way. Can you tell us what caused the separation between you and your mom in yeah. the first place? Yeah. I get 100% talk about that. It was when I first became famous with Fresh Off the Boat. I didn't know how to handle fame. And it threw me into a tailspin. And I do think that I, like many daughters do, I took it out on my mom. Mm. I mean, sometimes she reacted in ways that were very paranoid, telling me like what I should and shouldn't do. But I internalized it and almost like weaponized it against her. I wasn't a great daughter at that time. And that was, I think, maybe around the time I was like four or five months pregnant was mm -hmm. when I, I reached out to her. And then, of course, when I had my baby, everything changed. Yeah. yeah. That'll do it. Yeah. Yeah. We understand it. that. Yeah, we know what that's like. Yeah. yeah. I know with my mom, when I had my children, we had a huge healing between us as well. You know, her coming into gammyhood. <laughs> yeah. You finally get it, right? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I saw that little glint, that little magic, like, you know, Things changed once you had your baby. What changed? Yeah, I mean, everything mom? changed. It gave me a newfound respect. Right. I have one, right? Right. My mom had four. Ooh. And at one point, they didn't even have health insurance. They were on the food stamp yep. program and stuff. And my mom did it pretty much herself because my dad was working full time. Right. Honestly, when we reconciled, it was back and forth. There were nice phone calls because this was also in the height of the pandemic. Yeah. And then there were bad. FaceTimes, there was one where she suddenly broke down and started insulting me and saying like, you know how embarrassing it is to not have your daughter speak to you? You did all these horrible things. I had learned through therapy that when that happens, um, rather than get defensive, to just let her have her feelings, mm -hmm. I listened and I said, that must have been really hard for you. Mm -hmm. And that's on me and I'm sorry and all of her anger disappeared yeah. and I realized, oh, it wasn't anger. It was just hurt in disguise. Yeah. But then she was like, oh, never mind. Anyway, <laughs> did you see these flowers I planted? Like, oh, right. it was instantly over. And it's that moment of empathy, not judgment, not defensiveness and saying like. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. Whether you're a savvy spender maximizing your savings with cashback rewards, a thrifty rate watcher seeking the lowest interest, or a travel enthusiast looking for extraordinary perks, Kemba Financial Credit Union has a visa to complement your lifestyle and unique needs. Apply today at Kemba.org to unlock a limited time 2% cash back on purchases and pay 0% interest on balance transfers for an entire year with a new visa from Kemba. You deserve a card that works for you. Restrictions apply. Offer ends June 30th, 2024. L-A-S-I-K, LASIK.com. Have you been thinking about LASIK but not sure if you're a candidate? 
Just go to LASIK.com slash quiz and take our free candidacy quiz. In just a few minutes, you'll know if LASIK is likely right for you. And if it is, we'll connect you with experienced LASIK doctors in your area. Start your journey towards 2020 vision. Take our free candidacy quiz at LASIK.com slash quiz. Yeah, LASIK.com. Easy to remember, so you know where to start. L-A-S-I-K, LASIK.com. There's a lot happening these days. But I have just the thing to get you up to speed on what matters, without taking too much of your time. The 7 from the Washington Post is a podcast that gives you the 7 most important and interesting stories, and we always try to save room for something fun. You get it all in about 7 minutes or less. I'm Hannah Jewell. I'll get you caught up with The 7 every weekday. So follow The 7 right now. Like That must have been hard for you. So in your book... You talk about, at a young age of 22, having been raped and hadn't realized it. And I've heard that so often. I know. Isn't it so sad that it's so common? Yeah. I was on a second date with a guy, and he asked me to come up to his place. And, you know, we made out, messed around a little bit. You know, I let myself be touched. I let him take my clothes off. And then he reached for a condom in the nightstand, clear signal for sex, right? Right. And so I clearly said to him, sorry, I'm not ready for sex, because you always say sorry. Yeah. And he didn't listen to me, kept putting the condom on. So I said, no, really, I'm, I'm not ready to have sex. I used clear language, but he didn't fight me, he just, was so gentle. Mm -hmm. He like kissed me on the forehead. He was being so loving and tender. And then he just did it anyway. And I didn't fight back because he's twice my size. It's almost like I had to give in to protect myself. I was in his territory, in his apartment. And I was like, oh, it already happened, even though I said no. So this is why my book is called Making a Scene, because in a strange way, I didn't fight back because I didn't want to make, make a scene. scene. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I was trying to be the cool girl. I didn't want to be the crazy girl. Mm-hmm. I didn't want to say stop and then him to be like, I didn't even want to f- you anyway. You think you're so hot? Yeah. Crazy girl. And I didn't register it as rape because we're so used to think like thinking violence. Of, like, violence. It was a quiet experience. It was a, yeah. 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 Even though my words were clear, him having sex with me was quiet. And then afterwards, I like giggled and was nice to hide my discomfort. He wanted me to stay over and I was like, oh no, I can't. I have like my skincare products. I made some stupid excuse. And then he was like, okay, text me back, you know, when you're home safe. So I texted him when I got home. I was like, home safe, thanks for a great night. So if I were to accuse him of rape in a court of law, he has these texts that say, thank you for a great night. It would not go go over well. All I have is my voice saying, I'm not ready for sex. I think yes. we we define rape as like, oh, it needs to be like violent and everything. But yeah. rape is just a clear disregard of, of consent. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. No is no. I consented to making out. I did. I consented to, to having my stuff. clothes taken off. I totally get it. You know but what? that's why it wouldn't go over in court. Of course. Yes. But. Also, I had an orgasm. And I was really ashamed to talk about that. And I decided it was important to talk about that because then people were like, you should be grateful, whatever. It's a hell of a subject. What people think is consent and not consent. And no means no. I couldn't agree more. 
We've talked about some really triggering issues. So we've got psychotherapist Mina B standing by to help with some takeaways. Hi, you, you are. I'm good. Thank you so much for having me. So, Mina, what advice would you offer to people who are sitting in deep discomfort of like being ostracized, yeah. shamed, and all of that? The reason why being ostracized is so difficult for us is because being ostracized means being excluded and pushed out. And mm -hmm. we need acceptance and we need belonging and we need safety. Right. When we don't have that, we develop our anxious, avoided and disorganized attachments toward people because already there is a lack of safety and belonging. So the first thing I say is find your people, because those are the people when things get ugly, when things get heavy, you're going to need someone in your corner to say, I got you. Yeah. I have your back. The next thing that I really encourage people to do is lean on self-validation. Rejection is so hard because we want to be liked and yeah. we want to oh, be accepted. Yeah. Self-validation says, I can live in my truth even when it makes you uncomfortable, mm -hmm. but I'm comfortable yeah. with myself. And once you are comfortable with yourself, those voices no longer matter. Yeah. And the last thing I will say is what's very unfortunate about speaking out is, Constance, you even brought this up in your story. People who you thought had your back are going to show you who they are. Ooh, yeah, say it are. again. <laughs> and that's heavy well, stuff. Yeah. Uh -huh. There is yeah. grief and loss when you realize the people who are supposed to be in your corner are DMing you and sending you hateful, disgusting messages. The people who are supposed to be in your corner are making a smear campaign against you. They're calling you out and not calling you in. That part. Mm -hmm. And the reason why that's such, such a loss is because you thought so highly of this person. Now I know I can't be in a supportive relationship with you. And that takes a lot to reconcile with, but I do encourage you to open your heart up to recognizing you will be able to now filter out who's for you right. and who's and not. not and who you, you know need to protect yourself from. Mina, you bring up a good point. I'm glad you brought so this up. Yeah. Grieving that is a, is a step I didn't think about. I have a question. You started out by saying when you're in this place, it's important that you sort of find your people. So what happens when you seek out who you thought were sort of your people, but then- They're not. You realize that they're really not. not. Yeah and how isolating that might feel, because I think that's sort of what led me to feel like I shouldn't be alive anymore. I almost felt like me being alive was doing a disservice to my community. Yeah. And it was just such a lonely place to be, and I'm just, you know, I, I guess I can answer my own question, is you that eventually out. found somebody, yeah. Yeah. My, my friend Molly from middle school, who, who's not Asian, uh, you know, she's a blonde white girl, but she's known me since, you know. Right, mm -hmm. you found your person, but it yeah. took yeah. your people. Time. Yeah. And, and yeah. you sought out help and therapy and yes. other, you know, they might, might not have been personal friends of yours, but other people who could symbolize safety and community. But I think Mina made a good point, and I think it just hit a nerve for you, just in the, the sense of being able to have that space to mourn and grieve the yeah. loss yeah. of who thought that people had your that back you that thought did had not. your back that didn't yeah well it yeah. also we get the experiences so we can actually learn to be the thing that we actually want mm -hmm. right because we're not always showing up the way that we want to be showed up for, for. Mm -hmm. yeah
Yeah. I really feel like sometimes our experiences really kind of clean us up on yeah. that. It's a cycle, yeah. huge, huge red table cycle. Absolutely. So Constance, we have a few of your fans who have some questions for you. Oh. Madeline from Toronto says she relates to Constance. Hi, Madeline. Hi, Madeline. I'm so happy to be here. Constance, I just first want to say thank you. Seeing you in Crazy Rich Asians was really the first time I felt accurately represented on screen. It really led me to feel more comfortable and proud of my identity as an Asian woman. I um, grew up in a pretty white town and I didn't see people who looked like me around, not in school, not at the mall, and definitely not in mainstream media. And it really affected my self-worth as an Asian woman. It made me feel like I wasn't good enough. So it made me want to assimilate and whitewash myself. Yeah. Okay. You had somewhat of a similar experience growing up in Richmond, Virginia. Oh yes, completely. My high school mascot back then was a rebel holding a Confederate flag. Wow. That was our mascot. Whoa. Yeah. Oh, that's deep. It has affected my mental health a lot. It's something that I am still working through. And so what I would like to know is, what are some ways that you keep your mental health in check, especially after all that you've been through? I mean, regular therapy. Mm -hmm. I had to go every day at one point when things were really bad. Now I still go once a week. But even before that, I read books. Like I read a lot of Brene Brown. Helps yes, Brene me Brown. Oh Come my on God. through, yes, Brene. Brene Brown. We love Brene. <laughs> yes. I, I read a lot of self-help, which Power for some reason- vulnerability. Oh my yeah. God, <laughs> amazing. But the, for some reason, there's like a stigma around self-help books so mm -hmm. much so that now they have to call it self-improvement. As if asking for help is a horrible thing, yeah. it's not. I remember one time I Googled, how do I become a more forgiving person? Because I was having wow. trouble forgiving somebody. And- I've done that. Yeah, <laughs> one of the first things that came up was when you're forgiving somebody, you're actually doing it more for yourself. For yourself. Yes. So that you're not holding that hatred in your heart. So just even taking the time to seek out those questions, that's what I do. I'm continually trying to be a better person. Yeah. I encourage people to start journaling and writing out your thoughts. What do you think about yourself? What do you think you deserve? Another thing is to start audio journaling, talking and recording yourself. And the reason why that can be important is because when you listen to yourself, you can start pinpointing the discrepancies in your thinking. Yeah. So you say to yourself, Pattern. I can't believe I really thought that about myself. That's interesting. Yeah, you're able to really dissect what's living in your mind, because this is a problem. We live in our head. Yeah. And when we pull all that stuff out, we can use discernment and we can use judgment and have a more sound mind. Absolutely. Well, thank you so much, Madeline. Thank you. Thank you. So Ebony from Pennsylvania says that she's been vocal about the problems going on at work. Hi. Hi. So I've been involved in a workplace where I've spoke up about situations that I felt like were biased or prejudiced or racist in some way. My question is, when I'm speaking about these things, how do I do that without the fear of feeling like I'm an angry Black woman or I might even be canceled in that workplace? Oof. When I had sexual harassment going on, I should have reported it to HR, I wasn't able to do that at the time because I was so afraid. Yeah. And I think going to the people whose job it is to hear those type of things and right. not make judgments about you, not to say you're right. the angry black woman, you're the angry Asian woman. And I think that's what would probably help. Mm -hmm. Yeah, as a black woman, I completely relate 
to Ebony and this fear of being labeled. Mm -hmm. It's so complex because we cannot change the minds of people who are committed to seeing us through the lens of a stereotype. Ebony, I really encourage you to one, find your community at that workplace because if you're feeling that, chances are there are other people in a workplace who are feeling what you're feeling, but they're having the same concerns as you. I'm afraid. Right. The next thing I would say, Ebony, I heard in her question, how can I do this without the fear of? And we tell ourselves in order to progress, we have to remove emotion. You can do things even while you're afraid. Right. Right. And so I really encourage you to not allow fear to control your decision making, despite being afraid. Despite this being a risk, despite me feeling uncomfortable, my truth still matters. Yeah. And in order for us to seek change, we do have to step out of our comfort zone. Yes. But I guarantee if we are willing to do that, sometimes we also recognize, well, that actually wasn't as scary as I thought it would be. Right. But also address the company and the workplace so that they can do better because we want to be here. Yeah. yeah. Michelle is joining us from Mount Vernon, Illinois, and says you, Constance, helped her find her voice. Hey, Michelle, oh, how hi, are Michelle. you? Hey, Red Table. Hi. I'm an educator, sexual abuse survivor. Yeah. I was groomed into a love relationship with a trusted teacher. Starting when I was 14, he was 25 years older than me, and I really did think that he loved me. I didn't even understand that I was abused until I was 44 years old. Yeah. And when I spoke up about that, I was ostracized from my community. It hurt my children. It hurt me so much. There was a lot of suicidal thoughts going on then. I really didn't even see what the point was of living anymore. Yeah. And when I saw your post, I had to comment on it. Just your courage and your transparency alone was inspiring to me. When you responded to me to be heard, that's what survivors want. They just want to be heard. Yeah. I can still find myself going into that rabbit hole sometimes. Of yeah. What is the point of living when I take on that hatred? What is it that helps you keep moving forward now? For me, the thing that keeps me going is honestly people like you, because I remember the time when I was going through this difficult time, how alone I felt. It's not the most pleasant experience sharing these traumatic events that happened to me, but I want to help people who are in the same situation. The more we talk about it, the more I hear your story and say, you are not alone. You did not deserve to be shamed by your whole town. You are brave Mm -hmm. for coming forward with that. Michelle, I want you to know there are so many women who, who go through that. I have young women I went to school with that were groomed by teachers. And that was kind of a normal thing that nobody was talking about. Mm -hmm. So thank you, Michelle, for even bringing that subject up. Thank you for your courage. And you've helped so many people that you don't even realize. Exactly, just by speaking up. You're helping more people than people who are coming at you with their foolishness. They just have louder voices. (laughs) Believe that, yeah. Yeah. Thank Thank you you so much. Thank you. Thank you. So final thoughts? Just thank you for taking the time to listen. I, I don't feel like I've had a lot of people who wanted to take the time to listen. And, you know, it means a lot. Thank well, you. Thank you. Thank you for trusting yeah. us with your story. And and I don't want to apologize for crying, but I also do. Because no, I'm, don't apologize. No, I am embarrassed of it. <laughs> yes I'm to humanity. Yes. 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 Go ahead, cry, girl. Go ahead, we cheer cry. On. We but cheer I'm still on. embarrassed. Don't be. Thank you, Mina. You gave us some really 
Good stuff today. We appreciate you. Thank you so much. Of course. Thank you all for having me. And for all of you out there, Constance's new book, Making a Scene, is available right now. Go get it. Go get it. Thank you, guys. Thank you. Yes. You guys, yes. that was amazing. Hi, everyone. I'm Ha. I'm Olivia. Constance, you inspired us to recreate your dress from Crazy Rich Asians. I remember Olivia screaming, Mom, look at me. It's Constance. So seeing you on screen was meaningful, but seeing you share your story is such a testament to giving yourself grace. Oh, wow. That was so cute. So beautiful. I really like it. It warms my heart. <laughs> to join the Red Table Talk family and become a part of the conversation, follow us at facebook.com slash redtabletalk. Thanks for listening to this episode of Red Table Talk podcast, produced by Facebook Watch, Westbrook Audio, and iHeartRadio. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow The Global Story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. Whether you're a savvy spender maximizing your savings with cashback rewards, a thrifty rate watcher seeking the lowest interest, or a travel enthusiast looking for extraordinary perks, Kemba Financial Credit Union has a visa to complement your lifestyle and unique needs. Apply today at Kemba.org to unlock a limited time 2% cash back on purchases and pay 0% interest on balance transfers for an entire year with a new visa from Kemba. You deserve a card that works for you. Restrictions apply. Offer ends June 30th, 2024. Are you still searching for your perfect place to call home? Well, now is the time to buy at Fisher Homes. If you're looking to move in before the end of 2024, May could be your last opportunity to start building your dream home and close before the year's end. If you're hoping to move in even sooner, Fisher Homes also has homes that are move-in ready and waiting for you, where you can start enjoying the benefits of homeownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with a new home advisor today at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home. We went from normal life healthy child to acute lymphoblastic leukemia or B-cell ALL. The St. Jude team came up to get CJ via ambulance. Shortly after that, I noticed a rainbow. It meant that there was hope. We were driving into hope. To have hope is to have your child healthy, and we have that because of St. Jude. You can help kids fight childhood cancer. Please become a St. Jude Partner in Hope today by visiting musicgives.org.